today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Last night was the vice presidential debate, the only vice presidential debate uh, that's going to happen uh, before the election on November the 3rd. Vice President Mike Pence and Democratic uh, VP candidate Kamala Harris uh, were down in Salt Lake City and uh, faced off against each other. Aaron Katursky has this report. Separated by plexiglass, seated 12 feet apart, Vice President Pence and Kamala Harris clashed over coronavirus. We literally have spared no expense to help the American people and the American worker through this. Whatever the vice president is claiming the administration has done, clearly it hasn't worked. Harris said she wouldn't take a vaccine unless Dr. Fauci signed off. If Donald Trump tells us I should t- that we should take it, I'm not taking it. Hence accused Harris of risking lives. Your continuous undermining uh, of confidence in a vaccine is just, it, it's just unacceptable. Each dodged a question about presidential disability. Aaron Katursky, ABC News, New York. Stuff to unpack about this. Uh, and to that end, we're so pleased to welcome uh, Ashley Conning, who is a Ph.D. assistant research professor, the director of uh, the Eagleton Center for Public Interest and Polling at the Eagleton Institute of Politics at Rutgers University. Professor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us here today. Thanks, Bill. Thank you so much for having me. Let me ask you about strategy in a situation like this. Uh, quite aside from the ideology of the, of the, the, the two uh, teams here, the Biden-Harris team and, of course, the, the Trump-Pence team, when you look at the polling right now, and depending on which national poll you're reading here, uh, Biden has anywhere from about a 9 to 12 point lead in some of these polls right now. With that in mind, uh, is the pressure on Mike Pence to try to do something to try to move the, the yardsticks uh, and vice versa with Kamala Harris? Is it just steady as she goes and let's, let's not rock the boat getting you know this close to the election? Yeah, certainly. With Mike Pence, he's kind of the, the cleanup ambassador for, for Donald Trump, and, and he always has been the cleanup guy. And so it was his turn last night to, in a much more uh, eloquent manner, perhaps, try to convey the administration's messages. Um, you know, we know he has that kind of Midwestern charm attitude, much more the, the stereotypical uh, type of, of political figure from his party. And so he was supposed to con- convey Trump's messages in a very non-Trump way. Uh, for Kamala Harris, you know, on, on her end, this is kind of her reintroduction to the country again after uh, coming out as kind of this, this uh, rock star between uh, hearings when she was in the Senate uh, the other year and, of course, her start with the Democratic primary debates. But then that quickly turned into a, a very different persona for her after she had uh, skyrocketed in the polls initially. So this is kind of a, a reintroduction in terms of how she plays, how she speaks, you know, how, how she deals with policy and, and debate and these kind of conversations. Uh, were you surprised by the style? I mean, Pence is Pence. I think you're, you're bang on. I don't think he did anything that people didn't expect. That he's, 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 he's not the most effervescent guy around, but that's his style. Uh, and you mentioned about Kamala Harris before. I think a lot of people that were introduced to Kamala Harris, maybe during the, uh, the, uh, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and certainly uh, the Bill Barr hearings of the Senate, uh, where she was very prosecutorial and, and, and very you know, upfront about a lot of stuff. She seemed not laid back, but a little more reserved last night than maybe a lot of people thought she might be. Yeah, you know, I, I think there are so many other variables that were involved in the VP debate last night. We have a president who has contracted the virus. We had a very contentious first presidential debate. Uh, we had plexiglass that became an issue up until uh, the debate actually aired between the two campaigns. And so there, while we, I don't think this VP debate will really move the numbers, VP debates in the past really haven't, um, you know, there, there was a lot on the shoulders of both of these candidates. And so, you know, we, we saw Mike Pence being Mike Pence, and we saw Kamala Harris uh, trying to, to be assertive and, and somewhat prosecutorial again. 
uh, but also making sure that, you know, she embodied a leader that could be a heartbeat away from the potential future president. Uh, it's interesting to watch that and the, the analysis that goes on after that. And uh, we can get into that in a couple of seconds, the, the, the afterthoughts from an awful lot of the people. Uh, were there any gotcha moments? I, I, by that, I don't mean necessarily to knock the other person down, but uh, at, like the Lloyd Benson, the, you know, I knew Jack Kennedy, you're no Jack Kennedy, those things, the, the soundbite that, that could carry on for a few weeks. You know, I don't really know if we actually had any sound bites coming out of, of last night. I think what we had was, once again, a very gendered lens that we could do through which we can do the VP debate in terms of interruptions. We saw a whole host of interruptions back in the presidential debate. And Mike Pence is almost taking a little bit of his uh, running mate's approach with interrupting quite frequently. And we've already seen in post-debate polling uh, a very wide gender gap in terms of how those interruptions and how Kamala Harris is dealing with those interruptions were perceived. Um, and again, you know, gender plays a huge factor in these type of political engagements with women uh, much more supportive of her debate performance than men. So I, I think it's more the angle of, of what wasn't answered last night. Very few questions by the candidates actually were. Uh, the surprise of, of uh, Mike Pence not um, being more forthright about a transition of power and actually not really even uh, taking the, the time and the advantage of talking about abortion when that's uh, a subject near and dear to his heart, uh, not seeing Kamala Harris uh, mention something about the president uh, being tested and, and when the last time he's being tested negative. So I, I think it's a lot more the absence of things than any real zingers or lines that we will remember. Let's talk about the, the gender issue, because I saw a lot of that in the post-debate uh, analysis. I mean, even the conservative commentator C.C. Cup uh, said, watching Pence made my skin crawl, because he just, up there with two women, and he ignored the women, he ignored their, their requests, to, and, and it, it was very, they, she thought, very patronizing. And uh, I, I'm getting that from an awful lot of mentions on social media, too. I mean, you know, we talked about what demographics they should be shooting for, and we always talked about the, the, the urban housewives, and, you know, Trump's threat that, you know, they're coming after you and that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know if Pence's performance last night did anything to try to bring some of those people back into the fold right now. It, 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 it did not come across very well as a guy who respected the people that he was on that stage with. Yeah, uh, not at all. That's an excellent point where the, the voters that perhaps they need most or one of the voting blocks they need most uh, is white suburban voters, especially white suburban women, who we know really propelled that Democratic wave in 2018. And, you know, th this did not play well with them, presumably, at all. Um, like I said, we saw the, the gender gap in the post-debate polls. And, you know, every woman knows what it's like to be interrupted by a man in, in a professional setting. And so, you know, it's, it's any woman could, could really identify with Harris last night. Um, as, as eloquently as both candidates spoke, you know, the, the interruptions and the disregard for the two other women on stage were pretty clear and palpable. So this did really nothing to help one of those key voting blocks, particularly white women, that the Trump campaign needs. Well, somebody posted on social media, I think it was on Twitter last night, that said, you know, there could be a drinking game for every time that uh, that Susan Page said, uh, thank you, Mr. <laughs> Vice President. Thank, uh, and then you're, you're bottled by, I guess, the end of the session. Uh, but it, it does go to attitude. And, uh, you know, a professional woman, whether you agree with her policies or not, like Kamala Harris, uh, or any woman for that matter, doesn't like to be, you know, basically lectured that. And it seemed as if that's what Pence was doing to, at more than one occasion. And I know that she finally pushed back and right near the end of the debate, saying, I, I will not stand here and let you do that to me. But uh, the, the audience, I think, was on to that. 
Yeah, very much so. You know, and the last time we saw this kind of gender angle uh, in the VP debate, of course, was uh, Biden and Palin. And, and so, you know, it's, it's always a factor when we're talking about politics. But of course, when it's, it's so blaring, when we have a woman candidate on one of the sides, you know, it, it becomes to it comes to the forefront. And so, you know, again, she she's been a prosecutor, she can hold her own. Um, and she uh, repeatedly did so, um, you know, and, and so uh, it just is something that assuredly will work better among women and, and the female demographics and, uh, you know, something that Pence and Trump cannot afford. There was an analogy that I, I thought was fascinating last night, uh, given the dynamics here and the fact that, that both presidential candidates right now are, are in their later years, 174, 178, 79, I guess, by the time the, the inauguration will come through. Uh, and, and one individual, I think, at the post analysis said that this was really uh, the first of the 2024 debates uh, for president, because obviously the, Pence, I think, has his eyes on the White House. And, and certainly, uh, given the age of, of both uh, Trump and Biden, it's a very real possibility that both of those people that were vying for vice president now in four years could be having that same debate for the presidency. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are two of the oldest candidates in presidential history. So I, I think that's why both candidates were also trying as much as possible to be strong, but also mind their P's and Q's because, uh, you know, this can be a setup for 2024. I, I think both of them are, are well aware of that, even though they really kind of didn't answer that question last night when asked about the age of, of their running mates um, at the top of the ticket. So, you know, nevertheless, I mean, these are, uh, depending on what the results of the election are, this could be the future of both parties. It was pretty obvious, I think, uh, heading into the debate that uh, that the Democratic strategy, to a large extent anyway, was COVID, 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 and more COVID. Now, certainly, you don't control the debate. The moderator does vis-a-vis -vis the questions that they ask of that. But did, did Kamala Harris succeed in, in making sure that COVID was, was the takeaway for, for the people that watch this? Yeah, she, she really hit home a lot on COVID, much like Biden, uh, talking to the camera, talking to the American people, playing the American people angle, although Pence was also trying to play the American people angle as well. Um, you know, her, her strengths are not necessarily with things like foreign policy. Uh, that's where things got a, a little bit dicier. And then, of course, we had other prominent questions, such as the uh, potential Supreme Court nominee and, uh, you know, talking about the, the transition of power and the transfer of power, depending on the results of the election. But I think she really did do a good job of making COVID front and center uh, a key component of the debate. Um, but Pence also had uh, solid answers regarding COVID as well. So, you know, it's, it's obviously the foremost issue on every voter's mind right now. Um, and, and, you know, side, both sides need to kind of hammer that home in terms of what their respective uh, dialogues are on it. But of course, you know, we, we see the Trump campaign doing certain things that are not, uh, you know, in adherence with protocols and best practices regarding this pandemic. And uh, Pence really did not seem to combat that narrative well enough. Yeah, I thought one of the more intense moments was uh, when he simply, when she asked him about, you know, having the, the session in the Rose Garden with no masks and no social distancing, that they trust the American people to, to make the best barley judgment. And she shot back, they can't do that if you lie to them all the time. And I thought that was a pretty poignant moment. Yeah, it was. And, and even at the very end of the debate, we saw that her husband came on with a mask and his wife did not. And so, you know, the, the optics of all of this just does not play well. Um, you know, especially the, the president is necessarily not out of the woods yet. He's, he's not technically uh, not contagious yet. He's still within the 14-day period. I, I mean, you know, and, and now we potentially don't have a second presidential debate. So 
it just is not a good look, even as eloquently as, as Pence may be able to put it or, or spin it uh, last night. It's just not a good look for the Trump administration when it's the number one issue, issue on everyone's mind. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you about that anyway. The, the news that we just heard this morning that, first of all, the debate committee has decided that uh, the second presidential debate, which is scheduled for next week, will be a virtual debate simply because of the concern of the spread of the virus. And for all, I mean, for all we know, Donald Trump is still contagious. He that says he's cured, but you know, we'll let that go for a second. But Trump's response, as you saw this morning, was, uh, I'm not going to waste my time, uh, which uh, t- t- sends to some people as if he's throwing in the towel. Is, uh, it, or is it simply because that's a vehicle that he doesn't think he can actually thrive in? He couldn't do what he usually does in debates. Well, you know, the president most likely probably does not want to be muted in a virtual setting. <laughs> well, this, well, this is not unprecedented. We saw um, President Carter actually pull out of the debate, debate yeah. back in 1980. Uh, you know, it, it's just the, the context within, uh, the context that it's within is unprecedented given a pandemic and, and the president, you know, contracting the virus and so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's another thing kind of like in 2016, how he was setting up a potential failure or a potential loss. Biden has led Trump steadily in every day of polling averages since 2017, and the polling for Trump is only getting worse. So, you know, whether or not it's because he doesn't like the format, the announced format, it's a good exit ramp for him if he does not want to do a second debate, if he feels a second debate would be unfavorable to him. Um, But, you know, also Election Day is getting closer and closer, and that's one of his last chances to be on a broader stage, but the president appears to to want to hold rallies instead, even while, can, you know, uh, technically still uh, having coronavirus. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's an interesting choice. If Will there be a third debate? I mean, if they cancel the second one, do they still go ahead with the, the scheduled third one, or is, is the debate season over now? I mean, I think nobody knows at this point. Everything is unprecedented. I think it's the word of the election cycle. It's probably the word of the past six months, seven months. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, only time will tell what's happening in the polls, where the Trump campaign feels like it's being most successful, whether it's rallying their bases in, in certain battlegrounds or being on a, a broader national stage. Frankly, I mean, just like we saw with the conventions, the debates will do very little to the overall numbers. Biden has a, a strong lead. Uh, the president now has a less than one in five chance of, of potentially winning. It's not nothing, obviously. We we know from 2016 that, you know, polls are, are fraught with uncertainty and, and that we need to embrace that they're just estimates and they're not predictions or crystal balls. Um, but, you know, these these attitudes are very crystallized among voters and because of the hyperpartisanship and polarization that we have. So, you know, will the debates make a huge difference? No. Um, will it be odd uh, to not have the, the subsequent two that, that we were supposed to? Yeah, and, and that could just kind of feed into the overall narrative of, uh, of the, the Trump campaign and, and how it's been performing. I've got about a minute left here, Professor. Do you get the sense from what we've seen, and I know voting is already underway in many jurisdictions down there already, uh, is there more attention being paid to this election than, than past elections? Uh, you know, I, I think we say that probably every election. <laughs> I probably. think because of the unprecedented nature of this, Probably, I would say, um, you know, all, Americans are, are fatigued from the past four years of nonstop political news, political coverage. Um, there's a lot of voter fatigue. Um, but I still think it's it's something that is on the, the minds, you know, in the eyes and the ears of every single American right now. 
Um, so I, I have no doubt we see record numbers of first-time voters by mail right now. We see record numbers of mail-in ballots right now. Um, th- this is definitely going to be a, a high-interest, high-attention election, uh, probably like few others, probably not something that we've seen the likes of since 2008 uh, with Obama. Professor, thank you so much for your time and, uh, and for your input into this. It's great to get your perspective on this. Thanks for having me, Bill. Take care. That's uh, Professor Ashley Koenig, of course, from uh, Rutgers University. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.